Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Bobby Hedgeland Taylor, who is the multi-hyphenated artist. Bobby, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for that introduction. And like I like I said in our pre-chat, um, I, that was sort of a mantle placed on me by another podcaster. Uh, and she said, because of my resume and all the things I've done, I'm the multi-hyphenated artist. So I said, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to walk with that. You know, <laughs> somebody gives you somebody gives you uh, that kind of a title. I'm like, well, they, they must mean something to someone. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, we like to jump right in. So if you could start with telling us a little bit about yourself and some of the stuff that you do for fun, that'd be great. Uh, so who has fun these days? Really? <laughs> <laughs> um no, so I, uh, my name is Bobby Hedgeland Taylor, and um, by trade, I was a trapeze artist in the circus for many years, and in the circus world here in New York City as an artist. And uh, then I became uh, a, a circus and sequence designer in Broadway shows and theater, um, using my, my acrobatic talent to direct and choreograph sequences that use circus and flying. Um, and, uh, you know, now I am the author of two books. The first came out in July. It's called hashtag shit. My mama says, and it was about my journey with my mom and her dealing with dementia. And, uh, the second book was actually, um, prodded by her passing. And it was, it's a cookbook because my mom, my, my family's Italian and that book is not out yet, but I'm hoping to release it soon. Uh, it's called escape to ravioli mountain, a memoir in food. So uh, the pandemic has done a lot uh, to, um, to mess up people's lives. And uh, so that I just, um, since I couldn't be physical and couldn't be in a trapeze studio, uh, I started writing after my mom passed. She, she died right at the beginning of the pandemic. And the day after she passed, I woke up with COVID. So that's how we knew she died from COVID because um, there were no tests at that point. And she had been going back and forth to the emergency room. And while we were in the emergency room, she had many catchphrases, sayings, and stories. And we just would sit for literally hours. There were sometimes I was there as long as 18 hours waiting for her to be released back to either the nursing home or to my home. Um, so I took the pandemic and I put it into some kind of art. I, I, I've always been an artist. So no matter what the canvas, I've always been an artist. So um, when it came to writing, it was well, I can't be physical, so I'm going to throw everything into writing. I'm just going to write this stuff down because who knows how long I have with my mom. Little did I know it was less than a month. Um, so, um, and then uh, the, the, the gift that keeps on giving um, right after uh, the pandemic and things started to open up, um, went back to the doctor and he said, well, it's time for you to get that hip replaced. And uh, so I had been putting it off since 2013 and finally on April 20th, I had hip, full hip replacement and I'm a trapeze artist. So, you know, I'm also in my 50s. So I've lived my life as far as an acrobat goes, as far as a dancer, performer goes. So, um, you know, I, I'm at peace with where I am now, but it is a, a lot of very fast changes that have happened over the past two years. 
And uh, as far as doing anything for fun, um, I play racquetball. Uh, I take ballet. Uh, I, for my hip, it's actually been really wonderful. If anybody's had hip replacement, I highly suggest taking a beginner ballet class. Um, it got my balance back. It got my, uh, my base of my body back into shape. Um, and, um, and also, uh, I go to theater a lot because I work in the theater a lot. So I like to see other people's designs and ideas. And um, I also build costumes and I build uh, very magical costumes, if you know what I mean. Uh, so one of the shows that I saw last night was Diana, the musical about Princess Diana. And there are a lot of quick change costumes that are pretty fabulous. So I have the, you know, the, the mechanics of that is another art form that I, I basically learned sewing from my grandmother in the 1970s. And um, so those are the kind of things that I like. I, you know, I'm also very quiet times at home watching Netflix is also pretty good uh, to just, you know, decompress from the world when you live in such a crazy big city like New York. And um, I like, you know, I like watching old movies and things like that too. Um, you know, I also like going to new places. I miss being on the road. That's the one thing that I regret about my time in the circus and in the, the theater world was traveling the country. Uh, you go to a different city every week, sometimes every month, and you get to meet people, get to meet new people, get to see the city um, and learn about their culture and their diversity and what's going on in that part of our country, you know, because uh, New York is the center of New York, but there's an entire country out there, people that I'm, you know, I'm happy to meet. So I also do stand up. So I've been doing a lot of my stand up stuff. I had done a lot on Zoom uh, during the pandemic, which is not, a, I don't suggest doing stand up on Zoom. Um, but uh, I just finished, I just did my first post, um, uh, post pandemic performance, first live audience performance at the Broadway Comedy Club uh, two weeks ago. So getting my feet back into that kind of performance is great too. Anything to make people laugh, you know, laughter to me is medicine, but it's also, um, it is, uh, you know, there's nothing more addictive than hearing an audience laugh about something you said or did. So for me, that's like gold. And um, so, yeah, and I saw your podcast and I was like, I mean, I, I've been on 67 podcasts this year. I have a goal of getting to 100 podcasts by February um, to promote my books. But I also don't just want to pick a random podcast that I just don't gel with. And there was something about what you had to say and what your previous guests had to say that I really enjoyed about the connection. So, yeah, yeah, no, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on and thanks for yeah. sharing. Uh, yeah. That's an awesome pass. Tell us how you got into trapeze and the circus and everything. Well, um, I was born part of the, the, the cookbook Escape to Ravioli Mountain is about my childhood on a mountaintop in Pennsylvania. So um, I'm Sicilian. Uh, my family, well, mostly Sicilian. My, my family uh, is mostly Sicilian and my grandmother and uh, my grandma is the eldest of 13 and her father and her husband, my grandfather, uh, they both bought a plot of land on a top of a mountain. And my great grandfather was the father of 13 children. So they all settled around him. So, and their family. So it was like, it expanded on the top of a mountain. So I never had a, rel uh, a neighbor that wasn't a relative. So we were like this little insular uh, community on top of a mountain, but everyone was related. And so it got the derogatory nickname, Ravioli Mountain. And so when I was 
researching the book and 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 taking all of my uh, my what I learned from my grandmother and remembering her recipes, um, it, it made me escape back to Ravioli Mountain. And so I was reclaiming that 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 derogatory term. And uh, so um, born and raised there, uh, poor family, family farm, you know, uh, just, you know, very basic livestock to feed the family. And then um, didn't do any theater in high school, um, but I was involved with the Boy Scouts and we would go to the Cherokee Native American Reservation in North Carolina every year. Um, I was with the Boy Scout group that was an it's called Explorers and our goal was to document and to, um, to, to preserve the culture of the Cherokee Native Americans. And so that's all theater. Their dance and their and their tribal customs are this theater, because they would they were teaching the children about the quail, about the harvest, about the bear, what you know what those animals mean to the earth. So I was very captivated by this primitive way of telling a story. And then um, I got into theater in college, and there was a uh, a call put out for male dancers for a ballroom studio that was doing a big ballroom show. And I had had no dance training whatsoever, but they swept me under, swept, took me under their wing and I learned ballroom dancing very quickly and it, it got really good at it really fast. And so that became sort of my, um, my segue into coming to New York, going to a theater school, uh, working as a professional ballroom dancer in New York in the eighties. And then um, shortly thereafter, uh, I was bartending as a side job and a gentleman came in, we started talking and he had a new musical that he was working on. It's a circus musical. It's an old Disney film called uh, The Circus Adventures of Toby Tyler. And he had heard me sing because it was a piano bar. So he was like, you got the perfect voice, you got the perfect look, um, come in and then, you know, we'll get you in and it, what, what circus skills do you have? And I said, none. And so I didn't even know how to juggle. So they found the only trapeze coach in New York City. And uh, her name is Irina Gold. She's still alive right now, but she's dealing with dementia and Alzheimer's, so she doesn't remember me. But I certainly remember her. She, she, instilled, she was a very tiny Ukrainian Olympian. And uh, she was very strict, but taught me so much about acrobatics and applying the acrobatics and gymnastics that I had learned in high school and college. And she put it in the air and she gave me the confidence to do that. And so I began to get work as a trapeze artist because there were none in New York. Um, and then I, with this little, uh, little coach, she had five other students who were six of us, was me and five ladies. And so when jobs would come up, she would be someone that would get called and she would distribute those jobs amongst the six of us. Um, the most part, people wanted the pretty girls. So I was the only guy. So I had to wait my turn, but I was still training and coaching uh, or being coached by Irina as well as training with other, uh, other of the six. And uh, before you know it, work started happening and I started getting better at it. And the nightclubs in New York were booming in the 90s. So you could perform in a nightclub over the dance floor, um, like Webster Hall, Palladium, Club ABC, Shine. There were all these big clubs, that, dance clubs that people would come to New York on the weekends. So there were six of us and the more clubs that opened, the more acrobatic jobs there were. So the six of us would rotate in and out. And if one of the ladies was out, I would get to jump into their spot in one of the clubs. 
Um, and, and then I got well known for that. And I started to coach. And then I started to teach in circus camps because the circus camp uh, circus idea was bubbling up in, in the country. Um, because up until that time period, um, circus families were the only ones who did trapeze and they never shared it with non-circus folk. Um, it was actually considered um, a very bad thing to do because you're taking a job away from somebody who's six or seven generations into the circus world for 200 years. Um, so we, even though we were sought out after in the city, we were looked down upon by certain people um, because in their world, we were taking a job away from them. And I totally understand that. Um, but I fell in love with it and I was making a living at it. And I was really exploring a different form of art. And uh, yeah, and then before you know it, six months after training, I got into the circus world, I ended up working in casinos, uh, worked in Las Vegas, uh, worked with a troupe called Anti-Gravity, and then um, just started to get more and more well-known as a male acrobat in New York City. And then just snowballed from there. I love it. I love it. Tell us a bit more about your motivation and what gets you up and keeps you going every day, both with the books and just with life in general. I guess you've kind of already touched on the book, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing. Um, there's a line from, okay, one, okay. This will tell you how old I am. Um, I was actually in the final callbacks for the movie Sister Act 2. I didn't get it, but it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I was, I was, uh, I actually got to audition for Whoopi Goldberg and for other people in the, in the casting world. And um, it was, it was, you know, one of those close calls. I've had two really close calls. One was with Sister Act 2. The other was Primal Fear. Uh, the movie, uh, I can't remember who, who, I actually can't remember who the lead actor was, but he got, I think he either won an Oscar or was nominated. Um, but I was down to the final five for that. So I had like these close calls. But um, in that movie, Whoopi Goldberg says to Lauren Hill, if you wake up in the morning and you can't think of anything else but singing, then you're supposed to be a singer. When I wake up in the morning, I think of two things. I think of my coffee first. And I'm not Juan Valdez. I'm not going to go pick coffee for a living. But I love making people laugh and I love entertaining. So if you can't think of anything but entertaining, and no matter what that form is, if I wake up and I need to edit my books or I need to put something or if I have a recipe came to me that needs to go, then that morning I'm a writer. If there's a move that I'm working on in an aerial sequence that I want to put into a show, then you know, that's my artist mind that's constantly, when I look in the air, I don't see empty space. I see a white canvas. And then I see the human body as my paintbrush. And I'm able to paint while telling a story. So um, one of my colleagues that I've worked with several times is Paul Rubin, and he is known for flying, um, aerial flying in shows where you use harnesses, where you're in a, a harness like Peter Pan, if you've ever seen Peter Pan on stage. So Paul is very, we're, bo we're both of the same school of thought that we don't like gratuitous flying, where somebody's just floating in the air for no reason. So you have to tell a story, otherwise it's just, oh wow, somebody's hanging from wires. you know. And yeah, that's exciting in itself, but if you're not telling the story, if you're not moving the, if you're not moving the story forward, then what, why bother? And so we both have this, this way of telling stories by using the human body as a paintbrush. 
and taking the story from one part of the page to the next. Um, classic example is when Tarzan grows up in one song in the musical Tarzan. It's called Son of Man. And baby Tarzan or young Tarzan has to grow up to mature 18-year-old Tarzan in one song. So we, uh, we had baby Tarzan swing across the stage into the wings and then from the back of the house floating down to the stage on a rope is 18-year-old Tarzan. So it's the way that you use the, um, the circus apparatus or the wires to move the story along. And it's like in Christmas Carol when Scrooge is being f flown to different parts in his memory. That's when it's necessary to show people flying and uh, it's telling the story while, you, while elevating it. And also like singing, there's musicals that when you're singing, when the emotion of a, of a piece is so strong that you go from acting and speaking to singing and then from singing to flying. So you, you take that um, moment and you stretch it and, it and it just makes the excitement level for the audience that much more, um, more, more, more um, it, 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 it brings the idea uh, we, uh, that humans can fly. And so I always have had that affinity to flying and, and things like that. Even when I was a child, we went to the circus with my cousin. I never had aspirations of being in the circus, but I was always fascinated by the people way up in the air. Um, and uh, you know, then later in life, I actually worked in Madison Square Garden in the same place I saw the circus for the first time in the 1970s. So being on that stage and flying up to the roof of Madison Square Garden was one of the highlights of my career. Um, so it does, when you wake up in the morning, it's like, what, what motivates you to get out of bed? And it shouldn't just be death. I shouldn't get out of bed just because I fear death. I should get out of bed because I wanna achieve everything, everything possible before it's my time to go. And I, I, and I think losing my mom, uh, and it, it was very much, it makes you look at your own immortality or mortality and how much time you actually have left on this earth. Um, so I encourage everybody to wake up every day and do something artistic and do something that feeds your soul because we don't have a lot of time left here. You just never know when your number's up. There we go. There we go. I love that. Thank you for that. What are, what's your um, vision for your books and the rest of your life? Well, um, first of all, the first book that was published in July was rushed. And the reason I rushed it is I had um, mom died of COVID in the beginning of the pandemic and we weren't able to have a funeral or a memorial service. So and I was sick with COVID, so I couldn't get her ashes back right away. And when I did get them back, I was sick and I was literally have to compartmentalize my grief. But a year to the date that she died, I remembered that I had been sharing so much online about my mother um, and sharing with the hashtag shit my mama says. And I, I started to write her, her obituary and her eulogy and it turned into this book. But the reason I rushed it was uh, we had decided to have a family memorial because we lost uh, six people during the pandemic. And so we lost five uh, people to COVID and one to cancer. So that group memorial service, 
I didn't want showboating and I didn't want to take the focus away from the other five people. So I wanted that book to be tucked into my mother's ash vault that was buried next to my father. And so I pushed for that book to be, to be out, but it's her quotes and it's her look out, outlook at life while dealing with dementia. And, um, you know, this is the cover. It's, uh, she was a pretty sassy lady. She had a mouth like a truck driver and, um, and she wasn't, she, she, she gave zero fucks. You know, I don't know if I can say, I don't know what language is like on your podcast, but um, you okay. I'm going to change you can bleep it that into uh, whatever. The other you can bleep it out if you want, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but she, she, she was, she was a really spitfire. And then the cookbook, uh, because it's my childhood, it reminded me of two movies. It reminded me of my favorite movie, which is Moonstruck. Moonstruck is about an Italian family and then it's about um, the, an Italian woman who uh, it, it, on, the, on the light of the full moon falls in love with her fiance's brother. Sets this whole story uh, awry and crazy Sicilian family. And Christmas story because a lot of the stuff in my book takes place at the holidays. So it was very similar to that farcical nature that both of those stories are told. So, hey, if somebody wants to turn it into a movie, I'll be more than happy to have that. But for me, it's about getting it out there. The first book about dementia, first of all, um, and just about my mother, um, to, to, it gives people comfort because there are so many people that are dealing with elderly uh, relatives who have dementia who are either in a nursing home or living with somebody or are caregivers. And there's one thing that I can say to all caregivers, givers, is that in order for you to care for somebody else, you have to take care of yourself. And I wasn't doing that. I was sleeping in a chair next to my mother in the living room. And I would get up to, every time she had to go to the bathroom, I would get her to the bathroom and back. I would make sure, I was like her seeing eye dog sometimes. I would literally walk her down the hallway. And I wasn't caring for myself. And um, it's, there's two quotes, check thyself before you wreck thyself. It's in the Bible. No. <laughs> and, then, and then the second one, I use the adage when you're on an airplane and the stewardess is telling you about the oxygen mask, secure your mask first before you help someone else. In other words, take care of yourself first before you can, you have to take care of yourself first before you can assist someone else, because that's the only way you can stay strong for them. And when mom passed, um, you know, that we, the world was in turmoil and the country was in turmoil. And here we had this global pandemic that was killing people. And it wasn't just the six people that I lost family members. I lost a total of 23 people. I'd lost 17 friends um, throughout the entire pandemic. So I never thought that I would have such an intimate relationship with death and be able to cope through all of that. I think all of us have, ha have a little bit of PTSD, whether or not you lost anybody during the pandemic, um, because it's an invisible demon. You know, this it's something evil that's invisible that can kill you. So I believe that we have to nurture ourselves and care for ourselves before we can protect and care for others. And so my hopes for both books is that people get them and get a kick out of them. And most of all, they laugh. Like I said, that's my heroine. That's my crack, you know, is listening to an audience laugh. When I had, when I, when I did my show two weeks ago and I did my first joke and I got the big laugh, 
and everybody, when you're laughing, you're breathing, and then people automatically, they're at ease and they're going with you on that little five to seven minute journey, depending on what kind of set you're doing. Sometimes I do a five minute set, some do a 20 minute, whatever, whatever the club wants or, or the show that it's involved with. Um, so stand up, although it's fairly new to me, I've been doing it since the nineties on and off. Um, it's different as an older person cause I'm in my fifties. So I get to do a whole other type of humor and, um, you know, and then having the experience of circus, I can throw some of that. There's some very funny circus moments that I can throw in. And people don't, you know, it, it's not like just listening to somebody complain about their husband or their wife. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different type of standup. It's a different storyline. It's telling people about elephants. It's telling people about flying trapeze and having people fly at you at 60 miles an hour. You know, it's like dating in the 90s. You know, so all those things, uh, all come together with, hey, I want to make people laugh. I want to make people, I want to entertain people, but I also want my books to be of comfort. Comfort food, because my grandmother was the queen of comfort food. And comfort to people who are dealing with people with dementia, as well as people who have Alzheimer's and caregivers who need a good laugh. Yeah. Laughter is the best medicine. I love it. And if there are one or two people or one or two types of people that you can meet right now to really help you Get your books out there and give people that comfort and laughter that you're seeking to give them. Who would they be and how would you do it? Well, there are a couple of things. Um, first of all, I self-published and I'm self-publishing both books. So I don't have an agent that's pushing either book. I'm doing my own publicity, hence doing podcasts, reaching your audience as well as mine, and then sharing my audience with other podcasters so that they, uh, I am not only spreading their work, but they're able to spread mine. And um, so, so self-publishing is a thing and it's something that you can do on your own. It just, it's a tremendous amount of work. Um, but uh, yeah, like an agent and publisher that wants to help me out, that'd be wonderful. Um, and also like a promoter uh, that's out there that wants a different type of comedy in their, in their clubs. Um, agents, I, I worked with agents. In, in fact, one of the people I lost to the pandemic was my former agent. Um, so agents represent you as an artist and they contact the jobs that are out there or they negotiate when you audition or, they, or they're sending or reaching out to a casting director say, hey, have you seen Bobby, you know, this, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing this, you're doing this show and Bobby has these skills, have you seen him yet? You know, so that's what an agent would do. And, you know, um, and then, you know, just having someone to handle all of the stuff that I don't have in my wheelhouse, editing, publishing, uh, and reaching the market, you know, because everyone wants to, you know, when you're putting out a product of any kind, you want it to at least bring in some income. And I'm blessed because I have a, a large following on Facebook and Instagram. So a lot of my book sales um, are through that, but also they come through the connecting with TV shows and podcasts and different ways of being interviewed as an artist and as an author. And since I, you know, I'm not a writer, not an editor and not a chef, but I wrote a cookbook and I wrote a book of my mother's quotes. Um, it has to speak for something when you take the initiative and say, screw it all. I'm going to get my art on paper, no matter what. And also this is my gift back to my mother. You know, it's when people, you know, when you, your, your mother gives you the gift of life 
And I, what I, my gift back to her is what I've made of myself and part of the art that I've taken from her words and put given to the public. My mother's words are now in five different countries that she's never visited. She's never been to Denmark, Mexico, Canada, uh, the UK. Um, uh, there was, uh, there's one more, I missed it. Um, oh God, I can't remember. I literally like the book sales are, are worldwide. Oh, yeah. Sweden. So that's Sweden. Sorry. And so when I see, you know, cause they tell you when, you know, your book sold here, 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 and then you get, you know, your royalties listed. Um, it's nice to know that my mother's words are, oh, there, she's also in, so the six, she's actually in New Zealand and Australia. So there's eight countries that she's in. Um, so I, I see that people all over the place are interested enough. I mean, when you walk into a bookstore and you see an old lady giving the finger to the camera with the hashtag shit, my mama says, you're going to pick that book up. Yeah. And, and you're, you know, whether you buy it or not, you're going to be drawn to it because of its absurdity. And the absurdity of that is my love for my mother showing her at her most vulnerable. And she was actually giving the finger to the nurse who wanted to get, wanted to take her for a shower when I took that photo of her. Um, so you know, uh, I have beautiful fond memories of my mom. So my gift back to her is to, uh, to share my experience and to share it with people who need it. And yes, not every caregiver is the same. Not every patient is the same. I know from my experience with my mom that I was very lucky on many levels. And, uh, because she wasn't, she didn't get mean in her later in her life, she got very sweet and she got very gentle. She was a very, very tough lady when I was growing up. So it's like, you know, the joke, this is not the person I grew up with. This is an old person trying to get into heaven, you know, and she really was, she was not her best behavior. Um, but uh, there are some caregivers out there who aren't that lucky and some people get violent, some people get mean spirited, some people scream and holler, throw things. And there's only so much you can do and I use this other adage, living in New York City, I walk past homeless people sometimes talking to themselves. And it's not until you hear crazy talk coming out of the body that gave you life with the voice of the person who gave you life that you really stop and you get stalled in your tracks for a moment because that's my mother and she just said X, Y, and Z. Now, whether it was funny or whether it was completely off the wall, it's still your mother and it shakes you to the core. And that's when I knew that my time with her was limited because it wasn't only the time physically, it's the time that her mind had left because sometimes the mind goes before the body and sometimes the body stays around a lot longer. And, I, and you know, my mom was still lucid. She knew who I was. Uh, she knew my relatives until the very end. Um, so I, you know, I, I got very lucky when it comes to that part of my story. Um, and there are some caregivers who are, you know, exhausted, work overworked, and have a lot on their hands when it comes to the type of dementia or Alzheimer's they're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm glad that you wrote your books to remind those caregivers to take care of themselves and also give them that comfort. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you got a chance to laugh every day, then you're giving your body a chance to breathe because you're laughing, you're breathing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Well, awesome. I have one more question for you, and sure. it requires a bit of pretext. Is that, is that okay? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Awesome. So you know how there are people in, on the planet that have a fixed mindset, aren't willing to accept change, and aren't willing to accept help. And sometimes they die like that. That's just how they live their whole life. And then there are people who at some point make the shift in their life and go to a growth mindset, accepting change and accepting help. In your opinion, what is the catalyst that causes people to make that change in their life? Well, um, I go back to death. And I say that I don't and I don't mean to say that uh, flippantly. Um, we will one day die. And you, you want to achieve everything that's in your brain, every dream that I've ever had. I want to check those boxes off. I don't care if I'm 80 years old making my Broadway debut. I don't care if I'm 90 years old writing my 10th book, you know, but before I go, I want to make sure that I have exhausted my body. I've exhausted my mind that I have given every ounce of my being to my art and to whatever canvas I choose. Um, and it's what's motivated me. Um, my mother died with $17 in her drawer. She had $17 in quarters that she wanted bingo at the nursing home. Her house was foreclosed. She had no property. She had a suitcase with all of her belongings and that was about it. And I saw someone who, her goal in life was just to be a mother. And when she was a child, she couldn't get pregnant. Uh, or she, well, not when she was a child. When she first got married, she couldn't get pregnant. She never had a period. And then there was no help for people in the 1950s and 60s for women who were infertile or dealing with fertility issues. It was just, they were just, you can't have a baby, go get, go adopt. And my mother did the very first um, hormone treatment that helped her successfully conceived. So she first got pregnant with my brother, then she, she had her first period, got pregnant with my brother, had him, got her second period, got pregnant with me, and then had her tubes tied. But her goal in life was to be a mother. And she did everything in her power to become a mother and to be a damn good mother. And she was very proud of us. And she was proud of the fact that she did what she set out to do. And she was also a good, she and my father were great providers to a poor family. We were very poor. We never knew it because our parents always surrounded us with love, always made us feel like we were far more wealthy than we ever could possibly be. And I think that that's the magic that she instilled in me and I instill that in everybody. I wake up every day and I want to be an artist and every day my art changes. And, you know, I can be multi-hyphenated as an artist and still make a living, still be able to put things out there on all mediums. And I think that that's important for people to remember that you are not just defined by one thing and that um, you, I, I wake up every day because I want to give every last, every last bit of me before I go. And, uh, and because I'm an artist, that's my, that's my, uh, it's, it's my modus operandi. It's what I dream about, um, you know, having my art be out there for people to see and to laugh. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you for that answer. And is there anything else that you want to chat about before we sign off? Well, um, 
I do this in other podcasts too. Uh, I know that like, yeah, I'm here pushing a book. I'm here pushing two books. But I also know that I love reaching out and I love reaching people. And if anybody wants to reach me, find me on Instagram at Escape to Ravioli Mountain. Find me on Facebook. Escape to Ravioli Mountain is on Facebook as well. And I'm also on Twitter at Why Walk When You Can Fly. And um, those, are my, those are my ways to connect to the world. And uh, I love connecting with people who are fans of the books, who have questions about you know, me as a caregiver. So I'm happy to have that connection. And, uh, um, you know, so I, I, I also love being able to guide other artists in different ways to show that, um, you know, there are so many different industries out there right now. Um, the ones that I'm familiar with, I love being a mentor to different artists. So my, I'm an open book and you're welcome to visit my, my, my Instagram pages, check out my books and uh you know be an artist if you're not an artist find a medium find some art and uh share it with the world because anybody can be an artist i mean if i if any if i me who is never i'm not a writer not a chef not an editor but i wrote a cookbook i wrote my mother's book of quotes and i have so many other ideas for other books too but it's, it's like i never thought that that was even an option to me because i just was not versed and so i encourage people to just get out of bed get out of bed every day early, get early, get up early and, and have your coffee first, if you're like me, but then let your brain tell you what it wants. Let your brain guide you to where you're supposed to be. And if you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is singing, then you're supposed to be a singer. If you wake up in the morning and all you think about is entertaining people, you're supposed to be an entertainer and you need to, you need to honor that because that's your spirit coming coming forward saying, what are you waiting for? And I, like I said, with the last breath of my body, I will give every ounce uh, of my art to the world. I love it. Well, awesome. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I really I... appreciate it. And enjoy reading the book. I, I definitely want to hear uh, what your opinion is when you get a chance to read it. Absolutely. I'll let you know. And if you guys are listening to this, make sure to reach out to Bobby, like he said, and get to know him, get to talk to him about the book. But also, if you know an agent or publisher that is willing to help him out or a promoter that can get him into their comedy club, let him know. Make that connection. Let's make dreams come true and let's comfort people in their experiences with dementia and family members who have dementia. And let's give them some laughter, which is the best medicine. As we always ask, send this podcast to one to two people you know need to hear this message. Shoot us a five-star review on iTunes and we're out. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.